Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? I am doing fine. I'm Julian Darius. Why would you question that? I, well, at this, at this point, I probably would. But let's see if your opinions match up with what I'm expecting, mm. and then we'll get into it. Um Today we're going to be talking about, uh, yeah, is it a precursor to sort of Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Um, yeah, I looked it up and yeah, it is. It, it's mm. like uh, two, three years before the, I think the, the first Invasion of the Body Snatchers is what, 57 and this is yes. 53? Yeah, so um, we are we're talking about the 1953 uh, film, It Came From Outer Space, which I'd never seen before um, and actually was very different very different to what I was expecting uh, of a 1950s what I was expecting to be like an invasion film um, and, and is, it sort of is and isn't um, it's a yeah you know it's a, surpri- it's a surprising film um, it kind of has it both ways right because it's like they you get the I, see I, I thought that this was a blend of invasion of the body snatchers because mm. they impersonate you know, humans, and um, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is yeah. one of my favorite sci-fi movies. I grew up with it, and that's like 51, I think. So, mm. and, and that's really different in that it's an invasion, but it's an invasion that's not, uh, that's benevolent, right? Yeah. Um, and so here you find out, spoilers right you know uh this is really set apart from other 50s movies by the fact that the aliens you know ultimately are they're not here on a mission like in um the day the earth stood still but they're benevolent they're not the bad guys but they but you do spend half the movie with them like possessing people or taking their shape and apparently killing them yeah We'll go through the plot in a minute, but even the way it's filmed, like they are, you know, the, the shots are all like set up for the, to make them, um, or at least make the viewer see them as as an enemy, as an invading sort of like you know force. It's it's a, uh, and then you get it's it's that Twilight Zone esque, isn't it? That here's the twist of sort of like you know you thought you were watching this, but you you're watching something else. Um, but the story is is, is relatively simple, really. Um, John Putman and his his. Girlfriend, I think, yeah, Ellen Field, mm-hmm. uh, living in this small sort of like desert town. Um, he's an a, 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 a amateur uh, astronomer. Uh, they're watching the skies and they see what they believe to be a shooting star or a meteorite uh, crashing to Earth. And when they go to investigate it, he sees that it's not uh, a meteorite but a ship, and he sees inside the ship. And then, unfortunately, due to a landslide, the ship is then covered, and everyone thinks he's talking rubbish. Uh, that he's seen a ship until they start to see that people in the town, or at least a couple of people, are not acting 
um, this themselves, and they're all changing into boiler suits for some reason. Uh, and then uh, following this, um, a small group do believe him, and they go back to sort of uh, engage or confront the, the, the inhabitants of the ship um, peacefully, you know, predominantly. Uh, but unfortunately, the sheriff of the town uh, is the gun-toting sort of villain of the piece and does not want to confront them on the peaceful terms and is there to, with, with what's tantamount to a lynch mob, really. Um, and it ends with a final confrontation uh, and the ship leaving Earth. Um that's it in a nutshell, really. But I mean, what were your thoughts of this this film overall before we start? Yeah, the sheriff is not Sheriff Joe Arpaio, just so you know. Yeah, um, yeah you know, I, I thought uh, I also thought of the Twilight Zone one. Like, if if Forbidden Planet is a proto Star Trek, mm-hmm. this could very easily be a a one hour. I mean, it's funny. This is an hour and twenty minutes. It feels a little long, especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it could easily have been a double two-part Twilight Zone episode. Um, And not just because it's black and white, but it does have that kind of twist and it is about ideas. I really like this. Um, Mm. You know, I was surprised how much I like, I like this better than the previous one. Mm. Um, And, you know, I, I thought this was, you know, we'll, we'll give the ratings at the end, but you know, for me, this was a solid six, you know, like star Wars, like up Mm. there with, you know, it's a good Twilight Zone episode. I'd be happy with it as a Twilight Zone episode. It gets better as it goes on. What What did you think? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. But it gets better as it goes on. I remember when when I was watching it, and you start, it has this sort of like, you know, um, slow burn narration to open it up, and then the story sort of gets through, and you meet the characters. It's a it's a bit like here's so and so, here's so and so. And I mean, that's not to say it's, it's it takes forever to start. Like, it doesn't. But that first 10 minutes feels longer than 10 minutes because you're a bit like, oh, so something's going to happen. Oh, OK, OK. Um, and then when it does, though, it's sort of it, it's a sl- it's a relatively slow burn, but it gets good. It's better. And this, there's some good. Um, the tone of this film is interesting. I, I enjoyed sort of you know how they do play with it. Um, and so, some of the commentary towards the end is, is uh, ahead of its time. Maybe and maybe you know they didn't intend it to be commentary. I don't know, but uh, when they say things like you know, uh, you find out the reason um, that uh, they they sort of use these you know the pod people style. They they don't inhabit. They literally replicate. You know they are they are replications of these these people they take hostage, and they say like because you can't accept us for what we look like, mm-hmm. you know. And it, all of a sudden I'm like. No, well, yeah. To be fair, like okay, you can read into all kind this into all kinds of ways. However, they're like seven or eight feet tall with a single eye, <laughs> and they seem to float along. They're probably right, <laughs> even now. Um, so, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed this. It was it was a really surprising film. So I thought it was going to look a bit of a B movie kind of fifties um, fun fest, but um, no, there's definitely more to it. Yeah, and I think it kind of starts out that way. I mean, you know, it has that sort of narration, which is fine. But mm. then it cuts to this, you know, sort of the your initial impression of this astronomer and his wife or wife-to-be girlfriend uh, is, um, you know, it's like a parody of a 50s housewife, you know, like, yes. uh, I want to cook for you and make you happy kind of thing. Um, and... 
it, it, and it seems so melodramatic and and it and it feels like oh this is that part like you know we the last movie we did was a sort of disaster movie this is that setting up the characters mm. for the plot i don't care you know and it's the most cliched nonsense um it's shot well although mm. this movie has the problem of uh oftentimes the the shots and after cuts aren't matched very well so you know the shots are beautiful in and of themselves but you know there's a kind of like staginess to the the sets and to the the shots um so i think it kind of like starts as a b movie you know that's like okay now there's a rock slide and then there's all this thing of like seeing these aliens in the road and the Mm. car seems to pass through them and this happens multiple times you were talking about the way they're depicted as a threat. There's so much screaming in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, when so you say you're stage, stage screamers, are, I love, I love, uh, I have a real thing for this sort of like, this era, this thing of sort of like, ah! <laughs> of standing still and screaming at something and then usually fainting. It's, um, yeah, it's a very specific style. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun though. I it mean, is, yeah. I do think that, you know, by the end, it's a very different movie. And you were talking about the message of not only what they look like, but also this deeper message of um, that is sort of Star Trek of like, yeah, we'll meet again someday, Mm. but you're not ready for us. We know lots of stuff that you don't. You're very violent, Um, you know, and it's true. Humans are dumb, violent animals. You know, we are not ready for contact like this. Yeah, there's a, there's a great bit at the end where even and it's 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 strangely um, not anti-human this film, but like even the hero um, played by Richard Carlson, this John Putman, he he. At the end, sort of, you know, he meets up the, with these with the aliens. He gets past his barrier, so he's able to sort of to speak to them. And he's being chased by this uh, armed mob. And the aliens are just like, "Well, you first of all, he's carrying a gun on, on himself." And then he's like, "No, no, no, look, we can do this. You know, you, I, you know, you need to be able to. We want to help and do all this other stuff." And they're like, "Yeah, but you're not ready, and you're clearly coming." And like I say, "You're violent." And he's like, "Yeah." We, he even says something, but you've got this like ray thing that they're using, I think, to energize the ship or to that sort of thing. He said, "You can turn that on them." And I like the way the sort of the alien stops and thinks about it is like, "That's your approach, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what we're about," sort of thing. And it's it's interesting that sort of even the hero ends up falling into that sort of the thing of like, "Well, retaliate with violence." Um, yeah, it's a little strange though. Like I found, I found that whole dynamic strange because although I like it, mm. um, you know what it's trying to say. First of all, um, there's already been uh, violence when he goes to the caves, right? Yeah. So there's already been mm. the killing of an alien. So when he goes to the caves, he's got a gun, and the aliens are like, "Yeah, we don't want to do violence," but you know, and they they try to trick him. The one impersonating his girlfriend tries to mm. trick him into stepping into a crevasse, uh, which I liked. It's mm. a sort of, you know, and then when that doesn't work, there's a gunfight, you know, with a yeah. ray gun, which just looks really awesome as it's cutting through the rock, but also is sort of like, you have the slowest arm of ill ever yeah. used any sophisticated <laughs> intelligence in the cosmos. Um, 
they don't get in a lot of fights, so you know I'm they don't need to yeah. move that gun <laughs> very fast. Um, so you know, it seems like the aliens are then ready to commit violence. Then he suggests, like, oh, this dev-, they're like, oh, all right, well, we're gonna just blow ourselves up, including killing these hostages, mm-hmm. and then you know the astronomer suggests. Well, why don't you free the hostages? Because you can just blow yourselves up anyway. And they're like, "Oh yeah, never thought of that." <laughs> and I and I said, like, "Why did you take hostages?" I, I, think, I guess the point is to hide them while you impersonate them. Mm. But it seems, you know, there's I don't no know. debate. It's a little it convoluted. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's it's a little too convoluted or not convoluted enough. Like, there's no debate of them saying, "Well, we can't let them go, and we can't let you go," because you've seen us now. Like, you have now seen our technology. Like, you know, you, you, you know, like I say, the the Earth isn't ready. You, you know, we need to sort of kill you off or stop you from spreading this word. Like, in that case, you know, it could be the sort of close encounters approach of, well, come with us." You know, I don't know, but yeah, it does seem easily resolved uh, towards the end. Um. But I mean, the one thing I was I was unclear about is the aliens. Did they crash land, or is it? An, it's an, it's an unintentional landing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they said there was an error, and it, it's this. It's also the explanation is this stereotypical thing of like, well, we weren't going to Earth. We arrived here by accident and mm. crashed. Okay, you know, planets are really far away in space. I'm big, right? I'm <laughs> like, big. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like you know, oh, you know, well, we were heading to Tau Ceti. And we just were passing the Earth. This is not a thing that would happen. <laughs> I was heading to uh, I was heading to Greece, uh, but uh, I stopped in Italy. Um, you know, yeah. so, no, no, no. That that's not how that works. <laughs> it's you know, it's a completely different place. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a it's a contri- it's a bit of a like I say contrived excuse. But um, I, I, the other thing is, there's a lot of that in this in, in this thing of. And again, I think when you watch these films, I found it with the last one, and I think we'll find it again. We are much more sophisticated as an audience. Uh, and we have been given information uh, through films and through edu- you know, normal education that when you watch something from the 50s, you, you, you have certain baggage that comes with that. Uh, and some of that is when a spaceship crashes to Earth. First, it's a big spaceship. like It's not small, and it hits with a bit of a bang. I'd be like, that's gonna have done way more damage than it did in the film. Mm. But more than that, like he gets close to him, like that's come through our atmosphere. We've seen it on fire. Mm. It mm. should be hot. It should be carrying an awful lot of radiation. Mm. But he's quite comfortable going. Nah, I'm all right. I'll pop down and have a look at it, and I'll tell you. But you know, I'll, I'll come back and tell you what it's like. Yeah, I thought I I thought about that, especially at the end with those hostages, you know, all leaving. And it's like, oh, we're happy now. See, you know, it's like, well, you got to have been exposed to something. I will say that the movie does know both of those points. Right. It does mention um, it mentions radiation when they're first inspecting. uh, Mm -hmm. Actually, when when other people come to inspect the site um, and say, well, there's no evidence there's a UFO here. If there were some kind of ship, wouldn't you find some sort of radiation? And there's not. And and multiple times they talk about how, you know, wouldn't they have a concussion from, you know, there's this discussion of that. I'm totally willing to say this is advanced technology. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it, I mean, I'm totally willing to go with that. It does look like a 
almost like a little like geodesic dome, you know, yeah. in design, yeah. which is kind of cool and abstract and looks a little cheap on film, but mm. it's still like a cool abstract concept. But I can go along with a sort of like, well, we've got dampeners that would make us survive. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, again, you mentioned the ship. The ship's basically a, a sphere, but, you know, and I, I do kind of like the the design of it. Uh, again, because it's it when you it's one of those things that when you get up close, obviously they're limited by technology and, and budget for the film, but it, it's a it's a good looking idea, and I love the fact, like you say, the the door is just one section that sort of sucks in and, and then comes back. Yeah, I, I, I'm yeah, I'm quite, and with the alien as well. To be perfectly honest. Um, I like the fact that, you know, this whole thing is about the way they look. Um, and so they haven't gone for sort of like, you know, some sort of like bipedal, um, you know, they, they haven't gone down the Star Trek route of going, yeah. having mm-hmm. like, you know, like, well, we're not human. We are Klingon. So I have to wear a headband to hide my ears or something. I'm, I'm you know, I'm uh, Klingon. So I've got to hide some, you know, hide my head or Vulcan to hide my ears. Forehead then, prosthetics. Yeah. They haven't yeah. gone basic like no. They've created a a full on you know um, mm. alien looking alien, which I think you know you and I have talked about before. This idea of like no, they wouldn't look like us. This is a completely different um, biology, and I, I like the fact that they've done that, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. And they sort of remind me they're they're shot sort of vaguely, so you don't see mm. you know how how cheap it looks, and then. Um, you know, I was a little, little disappointed that we don't see more of them. Mm. Um, you know, even if it's obliquely, because that final confrontation is just with a bunch of humans standing around. Mm. And, you know, and you're like, okay, I know there are these weird aliens in human form, but, you know, in a way, that's cheaper, right? We haven't even bothered to put on the prosthetics because, yeah. you know. Um, but I do, they kind of look like... Um, Sort of like the, they remind me of like the Quintessons from uh, Transformers, yeah. the movie. Sort of like egg shaped, but sort of what is black and white. So they're sort of white and ethereal with one cyclopean eye mm. in the middle. I don't get how they go through those cars. And why was there blood on that car when they, or they keep confronting these humans and kidnapping them? And they're saying, don't worry, you'll be okay. I don't know. I'm a little confused by, how, I guess they're intangible. Well, it, I, I almost took it as they're able to become intangible because it's never really explained how they take on human form. Like, you know, because it's not like they, they don't inhabit the human. You know, they don't take the human and then sort of like possess them. They literally replicate them. So they must have some sort of either it's a technology or a, a capability to, to morph or do something. Um, and when the car goes off the road, like you say, the, the, the two main characters are sort of like driving and they go through it. I start, I take it, yeah, it's almost like that. Instead of it being intangible, I almost took it as they're trying to show like the morphing. Like it's not solid, which is how it's able to take the human form. Um, but yeah, it's it's it's, it's a little confused because, like I said, they do have the sort of the blood on it, and then um, they also show like the blood on the rock, and obviously that's supposed to be the human blood, and so it's it's never really defined. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's I I, I kind of I'm digging all that though. If I'm perfectly honest, I'm like <laughs> everything with the aliens. I'm like, no, I'm really sort of like, I'm into this. I'm, the fact that they're weird, the fact it's not explained, the fact that like it's not coming up with some 
one of the things I really that really bugs me at times is especially because I like details. I, you know, yeah. you know, what I'm like I'll be sort of go. Well, I want an explanation for this. However, if it is something like this, like first contact, I don't want some scientist sort of like doing a little bit of analysis and going, well, they're silicon based and they can do all this stuff, and all of a sudden having an explanation for everything they can do. I like the fact that like they're just a bit they are alien. Mm-hmm. You know, we're never really into, you know, we don't get anything about the way that their uh, hierarchy works. We don't understand how anything really sort of sets up, how they work. But I'm just digging it all that they are weird and alien and strange and, you know, which makes them more of a threat, which is why when they're perceived as a threat, you, I understand, you know, the film keeps telling you these things are going to, you know, you, you don't, you don't realise they're replications that they're taking hostage. You, you don't know what's happened to the, mm-hmm. the people that have gone missing at first. So I'm really sort of I'm digging this idea that the film's not telling you a great deal, which seems a bit not ahead of its time, but seems you know for a, a sci-fi movie of early fifties, like it seems quite um, daring, really. Yeah, and I think that you know I I like what you're saying, and I think the sort of like not not saying a lot, it also in retrospect makes it age a lot better because mm. most fifties movies will have some pseudoscience, and you're like. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have that technology now to just like, you know, pull the tricorder up and say like, you know, they're clearly carbon based or, you know, uh, silicon based or whatever. Yet you'll see that kind of stuff in other 50s movies where, you know, uh, somebody's using something like that. Um, So I think that helps it age a little better, but it also makes it feel more like a Twilight Zone episode in the sense Mm. that um, that's more realistic, you know, at the time they can test for radiation and the, you know, they can measure radiation and say it's not there, but yeah, you know, they're not going to, if you, if you have a primitive society encountering, you know, Star Trek level technology, especially weird aliens, right. And a weird ship, Mm. they're not going to, they're not going to make heads or tails of it. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of like showing the microchip to a crow magnet. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. pro-magnet's not going to hold up a rock and go, ah, oh, see, for narrative purposes, I'm aware this is a silicon microchip yeah. <laughs> processing technology. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Subtitles. Yeah. Um, no, and I, so I do like that, that they are. They remain alien, and their sort of motivations remain alien, like remain um, mysterious for the, you know, the majority of the film. The one thing I find interesting, though, is when they do replicate or more for whatever they do for, to become take on a human form, and they've got these two guys that they sort of, you know, they're two sort of like farmers or, or uh, whatever, and they go into town. Well, firstly, they're now both wearing boiler suits, which seems like a, you know, so they've replicated the person but not their clothes. Apart from yeah, the hat, I, I, one of one of them has a hat that he carries, but not their clothes, which I find really bizarre. Um, and then I'm never entirely sure like why they knew to go into town. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm going to. So they're looking for parts. Are they? What's what are they looking for in town? That seems. Yeah, I mean, it seems as if they're looking for parts to replace to repair hmm. their spaceship, but it's another thing that just sort of the they show don't tell. They don't really reveal uh, what it is. I was more con- I was confused by their initial encounter um, because first we see the. Um, main two characters they leave the site and they encounter this alien on the road right mm-hmm. 
And then we see another unrelated couple encounter the alien, you know, unrelated uh, two guys encounter the alien on the road. And they are, they scream and, you know, they're apparently killed. And then we see them sort of replaced. Mm. Um, And it later becomes clear that they had a car filled with electronic equipment, you know, that they were like repairmen or something. And then their replacements go into a store that to buy electronics. And so you think, oh, they must be making repairs. I, again, I don't know how that, I don't know how that works. Right. You know, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Oh, you know, we're going to go to circuit city. See, we're going to repair our alien spacecraft. You know, that's how you do. Um, it's very bizarre, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, they can they can do amazing things with those parts and turn them into sophisticated things before they plug them into yeah the weird and I'm okay. sure I'm sure that's what it is I mean that, that's what how I talk it and it's it's yeah. it's fine for the film it works you know as a, as a as a narrative but if anything it's almost irrelevant mm-hmm. because what what the whole point is is to drive this um, underlying fear isn't it that you know you. As as invasion of the body snatchers, it's this idea of well, it's the people you know, but it's not the people you know, um, and you know, like you say, I, I instantly make that sort of comparison to invasion of the body snatchers, and I know mm-hmm. that whether whether it's you know what day of the week it is, there's that comparison to like well, it's the whole thing around the red scare and all that kind of thing, um, and and whether or not that is applicable to this, I mean, let's say it's fifty three. Um, but it it definitely has that thing of sort of you know because you're not told anything you know and it's 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 was it's light hearted but probably you know it's it's the fifties it's not dark and gritty you know it's not going to have anything but it, it, there is definitely a fear or or um, uncomfortableness of this film of you know you're not how you know as a viewer we know because you've got visual cues to identify the the, the aliens and the, the alien replicas. But there's also this thing of like you know they have conversations and people are like well they're being a bit weird yeah Jeff's Jeff's being a bit weird today um, so there is yeah, this did, thing of like did you who, really who, who, don't you think they'd be pretty easy to identify I mean that's why I was doing the joke at the beginning like you know something's wrong with Julian right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like. Julian's never worn a boiler suit before and he seems to be talking a bit funny like you know He's talking. Very slowly, mm. you know. I I did like one of the cues, which was the guy staring. He says, "Oh yes, the sun is beautiful," and he's just staring into the sun. Yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. cool. But it, it, you know, it, like you said, yeah, they, they're not they're not hard to spot. Um, but again, it's that thing as well, though. Of of he knows it. The main character uh, that that John uh, Putnam, he knows it, and but it's trying to convince others. And it's that thing of like you know, even if you can see that they're weird, to, to the explanation, you know, it's that thing, isn't it, of saying well, it's not them; they've been replaced. And you know, straight away you just go, well, you're not talking sense. You know, he tries to he tries to explain it to the sheriff and to a few others, and everyone's just like, yeah, whatever. But like, you clearly, you know, you've been at the source again. <laughs> um, yeah. it's not the it's not the most. I mean, who's going to believe that, right? It's not the most hmm. o- obvious. Occam's razor would, you know, prohibit. exactly, yeah. 
Well, the other thing that's funny is this conversation about science, right? That, um, and and how I love how science is presented in different movies. Um, and here I'm thinking of when the people from the university come out and are ins- inspecting the now buried spacecraft. Mm. And it's, it's logic right out of Ed Wood. Um, as he says to the scientists, like, you know, what does he say? It's like, we used to think oh, the that, earth the, was flat. Oh, that the earth was flat and there were two mountains on either side and those held up the stars that dangled like pinwheels, mm. you know? And, and then somebody came up with a better idea. And it's like, not exactly. This yeah. is not exactly, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I'm, I'm not sure. How, like, you're describing the scientific method like for babies. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's so often abused in a way that people say, like, well, science is open to revision. So you should be open to the, the idea that the global warming isn't real. And, and you know, 100,000 scientists have conspired to hide the evidence. No, I'm not open to that, you lunatic. Yeah. Um, so there is a kind of, like, naivete to that presentation of science. Yeah, I, I agree with that, because I do quite like that scene as well, like you say, when he says about, you know... It used, we used to think this, and now we, you know, it's, a, it's that phrase, isn't it? Someone came up with a better idea, and it's not. It's, it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, in a really small nutshell, not, you know, well, we we gained new information and interpreted it in a new way, and all this other stuff. Like, no, it's, someone came up with a new idea, and everyone went, yeah, that sounds better. <laughs> um, right. And and little did they know that uh, the idea that the Earth was flat and just held up by two mountains at the end was in fact correct. Yeah. we've got to go back to that idea. Yeah, it's clearly it's clearly right. You know, I've, I'm sat here and I can see the world is flat just from out the window in front of me. Um, Smart. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to uh, uh, take all those decades and hundreds of years of, of scientific knowledge as, uh, as you fact. know. You know for a fact. I don't know. It's it's like Bill Maher says, like, I don't know this. I don't know it for a fact. I just know it's true. OK, mm-hmm. there is going to be on the Amazon listing for this movie. Somebody's going to say, I, you know, I give this movie five stars, except that it propound it purports that the earth is round. Yeah. And, you know, warning, you know, anti-science warning. As, as they like to refer to it, the globalist conspiracy. Which I'm still not entirely sure the, what is the the objective of this globalist conspiracy, um, you know, to, this narrative of the world's flat. I, I, one day we will we will get to a film where we can really get into the whole idea of flat Earth because it just baffles me. But that's a different film. Um, but I, I I do like this idea. One of the ideas of this film, which coming from a film in the fifties, and maybe I've got you know I don't my my history of the fifties is very sort of bullet point, especially in American history. Um, but this idea of it being open to change, this idea of them saying, like, look, we know this now and we will see things differently in the future. Like, you know, we should be open to that is interesting. Um, and it, it is quite an open film. Like, you know, the, the, the your main protagonist um, is, is of that ilk, isn't he? Like, even at the end, like, yeah, he, you know, he is human. He carries a gun. It's all sort of, you know, it just sort of come down to violence. But he's still saying, like, look. I'll help you, you know, give me the hostage, but I'll yeah. help you so you can get out. Like, I'm open to working with you, you know. It has a rel- yeah, it has like a really positive um, approach to this thing. If, instead of just going, ah, alien, shoot it, 
it's all about look yeah i'll work with you i'm happy oh, you know, this is an amazing discovery tell me more right and and while not uh the sort of progressive masterpiece that uh, the day they are sit still mm. it's still in that it's still doing that and you're quite right it manages to have its sort of gunplay it has its conflict it has those moments but ultimately it's not resolved violently it, you know, the, I mean, the, the it's resolved by blowing up a mine, you know, yeah. and friends conveniently like, hey, grab that there dynamite. Uh, but it's, it is true that not only is it resolved ultimately nonviolently, but it's resolved by the protagonist becoming the champion of the aliens against his against humanity mm. and humanity's violent instincts and having seen the light. um I do love that scene where he convinces the alien to show his true form. And he says, like, I need to, to see this. And they're like, don't say we didn't warn you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and he seems like sort of a little self shell-shocked afterwards. Um, can, I, can I say about that, though? Yeah, because he does, because he, he turns away, doesn't he? In that sort of like, kind of way. But do you think we would ever do that as humans? If we were into space and we land on the planet and we were like, no, you can't see us as we really are. We'd be like, no, no, no look at us. <laughs> Perfection of humanity. We are two legs, two arms. Hey, hey, well balanced. Like, it seems like an odd thing to the, the idea of not being able to, to, or to blend in, to not be identified, to talk, to do it for as, as a form of disguise makes sense. But for a species to like to to see itself and go, no, we're hideous. Like you, you, you don't want to see us because that's sort of how it comes across a little bit. Mm. Seems bizarre to me. Um, I didn't take it that way. I took it as you would see us as hideous. That mm. they're just wise enough to say, like you would repel from us. And even, even though it's heavy handed, I like that bit with the spider of sort of like, what would you do if that spider came close and just casually destroying it? Right. Mm. You kill what you don't understand. You yeah. are scared of what you don't understand. Um, and so I think that the aliens are just intelligent enough to know that they would be perceived that way and that these hum these here humans are violent. And if they look at you and say, what the hell is this monster mm. thing that's got these superpowers? <laughs> let's yeah, just to be on the safe side. Let's exterminate all of them. Because that's the human history, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, two two things. Um, that scene with the spider, um, I was baffled by the fact that they chose to have a special effect like a rubber spider. Yes. yes. Ra rather than just picking up a spider to put in a scene, which would have been ten times easier. But still, you know. Especially because they don't even show it being stepped on. Not that yep. anyone would have cared about stepping on a spider in 1953 yeah. on film. I mean, you still had horses being thrown off cliffs in some mm. cases. You know. Um, yeah, that I thought that was... A, a, there's also a shot of a spider that's clearly a live spider earlier yeah. in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such an <laughs> obvious rubber spider, like on a thread. Like, I, I do wonder if they tried to film a live spider and they were just like, it's not working and we haven't got time. Get the, go, get, go buy a rubber spider from a joke shop. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the other thing is, you are right uh, about this idea. And it's, 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 it's perpetuated throughout not only like I say our history. We'll, I mean, we'll get into this idea of the un, of you know the unknown, but even on film, like it's just become a, it's just become the um, the the go to you know for even for family films. Think of like E. T. 
you know, the 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 end of ET is literally this whole thing of the government chasing down, um, you know, because they don't know it. The X Files is pretty much based on this idea of the of the unknown mm. being the bad. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know, in sci-fi and horror, it's always been that way that that's there. Um, and I think really it's probably only been in the last couple of years where we're now being introduced to this idea, and I don't want to sort of like you know, incur. Uh, any any wrath in this, but really the, the films when you think about, I mean, Star Trek started it. This idea of working alongside, you know, not just different races but different uh, species and all this other thing. It's probably become more and more of a thing now. But like you know, you can see it's become so part and parcel now that not just Star Trek, but like you know, Guardians of the Galaxy or any other sort of space thing. It's just like, oh no, the team is made up of different species, and we're cool with that. Um, and I think you know that that's just becoming the, the norm now. Um, but but this idea in this about our automatic violence towards the unknown. This is nineteen fifty three, um, you know. So my my go to really is like, okay. Is this trying to make a civil rights statement, or is there something else? You know, I didn't. I, I was trying to think of like British. I was trying to think of American history from this point really. And like, you know, you've got the Cold War. So is it? Is it sort of you know suggesting about the? Is it to do with the Red Scare? Is it to do with civil rights? Because the civil rights didn't really start till fifty five. I won't you know that sort of thing. So yeah, I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the civil rights movement. Of course, there were you know civil mm-hmm. rights protests and stuff throughout history, and and you know including in the teens. Yeah. Um, but the civil rights movement, as we classically think of it, you know, I think what is it? You know, I mean, it really starts kicking off later. Um, the, you know, McCarthy has already run his thing, right? He's done. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, um, you know, he's been really exposed, but we're still cold war and there's still paranoia. Obviously invasion of the body snatchers is, you know, three years later, which is 56, not 57, like I said earlier, Mm. but it is widely seen as an anti-communist, uh, film, Right. Mm-hmm. They can look like you, right? It's not like those black people who look different, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, or those Indians, right, who look mm-hmm. different. Communists are white. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and they can convert you. Um, but in that film, the, you know, it's seen as an anti-communist propaganda. Mm. I think what's interesting about this film is, if anything, this is pro-cooperation, not yeah. pro-communist, but pro-cooperation propaganda which i think is much bolder um and i think it's a brave statement i think anything that i mean you know here if you think about this in the context of american history at the time it is a brave statement to say you know they're not you know you're scared you feel the need to arm yourself against this threat and it is a threat that has been built up you know the american government built it up um, senators ran for re-election, you know, claiming, you know, that the, uh, I mean, that there's a bomber gap and a missile mm-hmm. gap. I mean, you know, all of this nonsense. Um, they're going to invade us. They're going to overcome us. And in fact, Russia was a weak country compared mm. to us. Um, but we built them up and we're really terrified. And here... They are more sophisticated, but they're not waiting to get us. You know? <laughs> uh, 
they're not just, you know, and it did make me think, I found myself thinking, and I don't know what specifically in the film prompted me, but, you know, thinking about that I was going to talk to you about it, I found myself thinking that both of us are in colonial countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it reminded me of some of the points that Malcolm X made about, you know, white fear of blacks rebelling because that's what whites would do if they had put up with half as much. Um, that sort of when you're in a colonizing country, your experience is that you went to this country and took what you wanted and, you know, weren't all that nice about it. And even if you tried to be nice on the edges, you knew your point there was exploitation. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's related to the xenophobia in both of our countries as we think, well, you know, if uh, Pakistanis or, or Hispanics are, are coming here, they must be coming here to exploit us. Um, yeah. You know, no, no. <laughs> that, you just assume that nobody ever travels anywhere <laughs> except to well, we, exploit people. We went all over the place and treated everyone like crap, so they must be coming here to do the same to us. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think I think so in terms of the, the communist, uh, you know, setting, if anything, this is saying think a little more globally, you know, co you know, th- there are opportunities to cooperate and don't assume violent intent. Mm. So, I mean, I think that's a pretty radical thing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, weirdly, um, it made me think of. um it just sort of popped in my head towards the end of the film. It's like Pocahontas, mm. uh, the, the Disney film Pocahontas. It's, it's almost been like you know the antithesis of this, of that sort of thing. Of you say the colonialism, like in this, the aliens they're here by accident. They could quite easily go, yeah, we're here by accident. But do you know what? Oof, your resources or whatever, <laughs> this this bit of uh, real estate you've got is pretty good, isn't it? I think we'll have some of that. But there's that mentality is not there at all it's not like these ends are not an invading force they're not there as as i say to colonize or anything like that steal steal our resources and so it is it is sort of against it when you sort of i i I thought of pocahontas mainly because i recently watched it with my daughter on the disney channel um and that thing again of just sort of the invading force whether it be the british or the spanish or whoever coming over to find that to that resource and the the native um people the indigenous people then sort of being exploited and stuff and i was like this film could have easily gone there. and that's sort of what it suggests at the beginning isn't it that's that's where the film sort of that's the fear that it's stoking in you you know this thing of like you know oh they're, they're, they're uh either possessing or replicating people you know they came um in in a more advanced ship you know the tone of the film when you see it sort of like you know um as you say, sort of uh, intangible, the car going through it, and all this stuff is them being better or more sinister. And the whole film is setting you up to think, yeah, they are the baddies, and they're here for a purpose. Um, and so it does, yeah, and that's, that was in my head the whole time. I was like, and, you know, it's, I didn't see the ending coming. I was like, oh, this is going to be a combative ending. Um, and again, I think it's because I'm programmed with that in my head. That, you know, yeah, of course, of course they're here with... Uh, you know, maybe my innate xenophobia coming through in a pop culture way, but I was like, yeah, of course they're here with a with you know um, negative 
you know, for, for invasion purposes. <laughs> and when it turns out, they're like, no, no, we just You'd be down. the sheriff. Uh, seriously, there'd be a part of me that probably would. There'd be. I would like to think I'd be the scientist that's going, no, all right, I'm going to help you out. But there's a part of me that would also be like, and especially from a small town, it's very telling that they do small town, desert based. It's isolated. You know, it's meant it's it's just it is a small town America. Um, you know, they're trying to say something there. But yeah, I, I don't know. Would I? I would like to think I'd be the better person, but I, I can't. I couldn't guarantee that. And this film probably says I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I'd be like, you know, I, I grab my pitchfork and that's it. Well, I, I like the idea that they, they crash and then they're like, oh, this actually, this is a good place to colonize, you know. Mm. Uh, well, we did land here by accident, but now that we've taken the shape of your women, we want your women. You know, yeah. Mars needs yeah. women. Um, Mars, yeah, sorry, I, I was going to say, Mars Attacked was another one that crossed my mind watching this film. And uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but you're right about sort of... Right, right, yeah. we, we come in peace. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, no, I mean, I, I did think... No, I mean, I do think that I would be the, the professor, you know? And I would think, like, look, what's going to happen is going to happen. If they're going to kill me in the cave, they're going to kill me in the cave. Maybe I'll take a gun to defend myself just in case, which for some reason seems to work on them. Um, but probably I don't have a lot of chance against these guys. On the other hand, I get to talk to aliens. Like, yeah. let's go talk to them and see what the worst thing that happens is they kill me. You know, they're probably going to zap me with a laser and, I'll, and I'm not going to feel a thing and I'll be dead. It's not like the way we normally die which is slow and agonizing. That's actually a really good way to die. It's about the best way possible because you get killed seeing an alien being the first among the first humans to ever see an alien. That's worth you know, a yeah. quick death. And that's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is like, hey, they're, they're cool and I get to be friends with an alien. Um, <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome to me. Yeah, th there is that moment when he comes out of the mine shaft, which I don't know where that mine shaft is, you know, compared to this this crash site. It's just like, oh, by the way, there's a mine shaft nearby. It's just, I mean, I guess it's at a you think like it's an abandoned mine shaft because it's not still being worked on. There are no workers taken prisoner. And yet at the same time. It's active enough to still have dynamite laying around near the uh, entrance. Yeah. I was going to say, that's what I like. Just four sticks of dynamite tied together, about four feet in front of the entrance. <laughs> I, so, I mean, in, in fairness, I have four sticks of dynamite next to the entrance <laughs> of my house. You know, it's a thing we do over here. Um, but, you know, so coming from a small town myself, I mean, I'd, I'd be that guy. But there is that wonderful moment when he comes out and he talks to... Um, the sheriff, uh, and the sheriff says, like, yeah, how do you know they haven't lied to you? Mm. They've captured people. They've taken their shape. Uh, there's reason to, there's blood. There's lots of reasons to be suspicious of them. Um, and you as a viewer go, oh, gee, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, I can't prove anything here. Ultimately, but it's that thing about, like, um, you know, the dead man switch, right? And uh, the times when somebody has prevented, you know, really single-handedly prevented global thermonuclear war yeah. because they didn't want to be the one to do it. You know, like, I am not going to be the one to call this in 
or press the button that makes the world die by nuclear fire. Um, and if the odds are decent that my country will be eradicated, you know, I'll take those, that chance. Uh, I'm not going to do this. And, you know, proverbially speaking, thank God for those people. But I think that's sort of like what I felt in those moments. And again, that's thinking globally. That's thinking as a species. You know, he's like, you know, I believe them. And I believe them at that point in the movie. But I don't know. But I'm not going to be the one to start shooting aliens just to be safe. (laughs) Well, I suppose it comes down to a couple of things, doesn't it? Because you talk about this idea of, of... You know, cooperation and collaboration. Well, part of that is trust. Mm. You know, you, you, you say, well, how do you know? Well, I'm having to trust them. I've shown them trust and hoping that they can reciprocate. That's the point of, of collaboration. Um, but but, but I say the other side of that as well is, it, it, you know, see about the, the, the species, this thing of, you know, like saying, well, you don't know that opening fire could escalate things. <laughs> they might be sat there going, yeah, they were peaceful. And, uh, we want to leave. We don't really want to be here because, let's be honest, this town's shit. I want to go home. And all of a sudden they open fire and they're like, look, well, we have no choice. But to, in order for us to leave, we've got to keep you at base and we've got to retaliate. And we've seen they've got the weapons to do it with this the laser that burns through rock. So there's a part of me as well that we're saying, look, if they're saying they want to leave, let's give them the opportunity because the potential is, like you say, worst case, best case scenario. The best case scenario is they do leave. All right? And we, we, we then have a UFO story for this town and we can open up all kinds of shops and we can get tourists tourists in for it. Wonderful. Worst case scenario is you open fire and they kill us all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess if we're, we're like a little later in cinematics history, right, you get to sort of the cynicism of like, you know, the alien franchise where it's mm. like, yeah, no, the best case scenario isn't that they leave, brother. The best case scenario is that we go in guns a blazing, kill us some aliens, and then we have some aliens to dissect and we have that technology for ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, then just watch those those uh, comets with a good old USA flag emblazoned yeah. on them, you know, USAF. If you want to take that, there is the cynic, there is the cynical ending or there's a cynical version of this that says, how do you know they're not scout ship? You letting mm-hmm. them go means that more people know about this place. You know, there's that thing. There's there's always gonna, that that that's come up in future films. You know, I'm sure that's come up again. Where you, we can't let them go, you know, because we don't want them to. Or we can't show weakness because if they think they can go, that means and and that will that's that might is right kind of approach will come up again and again in future films. But again, as you said, there's also the capitalist approach that says, well, or even Independence Day, you Mm. know, or even Transformers, the first Transformers film. They, when they make a point of, we found Megatron in the, uh, the ice. And then we basically reverse engineered a bunch of stuff. And they obviously, you know, everyone talks about microwaves and stuff like we reverse engineered a whole bunch of stuff off the list. Like, how do you think you got, you know, your mobile phone? There's this idea, isn't there, of, as I say, of utilizing the technology, mm-hmm. um, but that really doesn't. Co- I suppose that you know that that I'd be interested. I'd be interested to find out when that first got introduced, or when that started to creep into films, because it's you know it's not really mentioned here. Um, but the other thing we should mention this film as well is again, it's a small town. 
You know, this this film doesn't take over take take cover a long period of time, but there's a there's a large absence of any military or government interference. This is a local this is a local film for local people. <laughs> um but that's what it is, isn't it? It's a local story. Like again, we like I like those small stories. I like the fact that mm-hmm. there is no the sheriff doesn't sort of ring up, uh, you know. Again, like he's not. He's, he doesn't. The ring FBI up the, or... Yeah, there's no one. Sort of, there's no Men in Black sort of situation, or where the, yeah. the military turns up and like we heard there's a ship and we're going to take it, or we saw a big um, thermo, you know, I don't know, big thermal flare on our sensors, un, you know, unclear sensors, right. and so they turn up. Like that's what happened. Now that's how this would be tried. No, this is a small film. It's a small. Um, yeah, I mean, they, 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 you know, you'd think that there would have been some sort of, you know, detection, you know, mm. uh, but, but I mean, there are moments where you see like a, a bunch of jeeps coming over uh, to the site, and really that's just like a convoy led by that sheriff. Yeah. But it does feel I did find myself thinking, sort of, uh, you know, barely beneath my consciousness. Oh. This is the men in black, right? You know, this is the the military response. But you're right; it's just not in there. Um, and it is a it is a smaller movie, and it does feel like. And I'm fine with this. I don't think it's a hit to say it feels like a extra long Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, it, and and again, I like that. I like the fact this is kept relatively small. It becomes like a town dispute. It, I can imagine that you know, years to come, this becomes a town legend. Mm. You know, this mm-hmm. is one of those things where kids will go out to this crater and, you know, there'll be this, you know, there's a UFO landed in this thing. And, like, my granddad tells me about the, the night that they try to stop the aliens taking off or whatever. I kind of like that, that this is just a small local mm-hmm. story. Like, you know, there, there is no big thing of, like, you know, uh, take the take them and we want to take the aliens or the technology. And that it, It's just a... Um, and also, in, in 53, I can't imagine... The local sheriff calling the FBI and going like, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe what's happening here." Like, yeah, but like, all right, thank you, thank you very much. Click. Um, the one thing that I did sort of just just popped into my head about this being a, a, a crash landing and this thing is, um, and then uh, you know I mentioned to you before that we'd probably get onto this topic is obviously Roswell happened in, in you know six years before this, mm-hmm. uh, and, and although it sort of it, it died down, well, there was it happened. Okay, yeah. Right. What, what, I don't know what that means. Okay. The Roswell incident, <laughs> the alleged crashing of at least one ship uh, in Roswell, New Mexico, um, happened in, in, in 1947, and there's obviously all the press around that. And that did go national because the, the Air Force reported several different stories during that time. And, and so th- this sort of being a, a crash landing in a desert town Again, sort of struck me in that way that like, you know that this is clearly sort of tapping into that um, that idea of of oh yeah then you know that sort of uh, still in the zeitgeist a little bit and, and you know they were utilising that a little bit in the fear of little green men or whatever you want to call them that just sort of creeped into my head a little bit just then actually what I was thinking about yeah I mean that's interesting I think it is. You know, that's a good point that, you know, this is, you know, a sort of like riff on that in the sense that you could think, well, maybe some story is going to be circulated of like, obviously it's in the paper, like this, you know, this Mm. guy claims that, although he's ridiculed, 
it's not the military put out a story, which they did at Roswell. Uh, yeah, we got a flying saucer um, and then retracted it. Um, but, um, you know, which is, to my mind, inscrutable and bizarre on all kinds of levels. Uh, but you can kind of see this as like, oh, what really happened is Roswell, except with a local sheriff instead of. Mm. You know. Although, you know, it's worth pointing out that like when one of the reasons why I know that, you know, when Kennedy proposed going to the moon, one of the reasons why there was a lot of resistance to doing so was because in the scientific community, the idea of going to the moon was like, that's what they do in dumb sci-fi movies. <laughs> and they were so hostile to that. So, you know, I think that the, you know, the majority of the population certainly didn't believe that, you know, aliens were visiting us. But it was a thing that was, yeah, I mean, it was in people's minds. I mean, you know, the idea of a crash is, you know, from Roswell on certainly is the sort of archetypal alien encounter. Yeah, it, it just sort of struck me, especially being in, it being an unnamed um, desert town. It just felt it just felt like that sort of um, atypical sort of idea of what they thought like a UFO crash would have been at, at that point. Interestingly, though, um, as you say, the, the design of the ship is is isn't atypical because um, the flying saucer, uh, the disc shape, um, had already been. Um, I think it was, it was um, quoted in, in a news story in the late 40s. Uh, I remember in the book I read recently, the book I listened to, it was 48 or 49 and became this sort of idea. So everybody thought of it as the two saucers. The music, it came up because it was the idea of two saucers put together, one on top of the other, and so it became known as the flying saucer. Um, but this isn't that. Like, again, like, you know, I think when we get to Earth versus the flying saucers... We'll see that, but um, <laughs> yeah, the, the ship in this is, is isn't again. They, I'm glad they used their imagination and went a different way rather than doing something a little bit, you know. People, that's the thing with this film. Like a lot of the thing, it's it's not what you expect. You, you keep thinking it's going to be something, and it's not. And I was glad to be surprised by a film from 1953. Um, yeah, and it's a solid movie. I mean, what yeah. you said about like how it wasn't what you expected. Um, yeah, I wasn't. I was. I didn't think that. You know, I mean, it's presented as people screaming, right? As they're absorbed or whatever, yeah. um, and that proves not to be the case. You know, and sort of the first hint of that is you've seen this arm behind the rock, mm. and the main character assumes, "Oh, that's the other guy who's dead." Um, and in fact, you find out, no, that's the guy who he's already seen. Uh, it's just the real version, and he saw an alien who had taken that guy's shape and the other guy's still alive. So that sort of suggests, you know, uh, you know, there are okay. And mm. the alien tells them, um, you won't be harmed if you do what I say. Right. Which still sounds vaguely menacing. Yeah. Um, but I loved what you said about how, even at the end, maybe this is a scout ship and about trust. And I think that, you know, we've talked before about how science fiction is able to get at, important ideas and able to get at existential ideas about humanity and mm. what kind of person we want to be, but really what kind of species we want to be. And, you know, what I was saying about 
yeah, I mean, if I'm going to die encountering an alien, <laughs> fine. But I'm not going to be that guy who presses that button and ends the world, right? Or presses that button and is now responsible for killing the first aliens who landed here, right? Um, we don't want that reputation. Um, yeah. You know, so, I mean, I like the idea that these encounters are ambiguous. And yeah, they flew away, but maybe you never know. And maybe some of that trust can't ultimately be earned. And it strikes me that in so many, you mentioned Independence Day, Transformers, in so many recent movies, it, you know, the aliens have a bad motive, right? Mm. It's very rare that you see something like this in recent years, just because it's more fun, if nothing else. Maybe we're more cynical. I think that this is a lot deeper. You know, I mean, it's it's not a masterpiece of a film, mm. but it's a lot deeper in presenting not just the, the need to trust, despite lingering ambiguity, uh, and also the need to sort of think, you know, without putting too much of a point on it, long term as a species. Um, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to initiate a conflict with aliens landing here, you know, yeah. if I don't have clear evidence that they're of their hostile intent. Well, again, it's that thing about why would you engage with something that's clearly more technologically advanced than you? Like, if they're not showing hostility, like you say, it, 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 to you know, to run at it with spears and shields, it just seems, <laughs> you know, or you know, even like you know, yeah. What I always think of there's a, a comment in um, Independence Day. Um, which is a film we may or may not cover one, you know, ever. Um, but there's a there's a comment in that when uh, Will Smith sort of goes, he fi- when he finally gets into the airbase, and they're talking about the ships over the place. You see it on the news, and he actually says, sort of like over the news, "Please stop shooting your guns up in the air. Like you're not mm-hmm. doing anything, and you're actually endangering people." Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I always think that's quite, you know, an, an interesting comment. Sort of like even from a 1996-97 sort of film. This idea of like, yeah, people are just opening fire in the street and pointing up and shooting with their handguns or their AR-15s or whatever they've got, and I'm like, you know, that like, the first part of that film, like, you don't know what those ships are. They're massive and they're they're shown to be intimidating, but they just sat there. They're not doing anything to begin with, but everyone's instant response is open fire. Scott, why do you hate America so much? Oh, well, uh... we, we were doing we were doing Britain, <laughs> but you know, we don't have. Uh, weapons and it's quite hard to throw pitchforks that far (laughs) well you know this is just uh you know liberal propaganda (laughs) my ar-15 is going to defend great when the military rolls through with tanks (laughs) and stealth fighters right let alone flying saucers Mm -hmm. um yeah it's 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 a bizarre thing um you know only in America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true, but you know, one of the things. Um, but it is it's that. But it, 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 this is clearly the American experience, though, isn't it? That's what this is tapping into. It's it's very much the American experience of the lone person, sort of like you know, denouncing violence and saying like, no, no, no let's use trust, let's use collaboration or cooperation for this one moment against an armed mob. But in this, at no point. The armed mob are never shown to be irrational. Mm-hmm. 
they're shown to be fearful, but at no point are they irrational. They don't know anything other than, yeah, no, people in our town have clearly been taken over. Right. Uh, people have gone missing. And we now know there's an alien ship here. Like, no, 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 I would rather be armed and defend or you know, at least be on the attack. So it's it's never it's we know it's daft as as a, as a viewer, but again, taking into consideration this is a small town, he is law as well, so his job is literally to defend these people. Um, they're never shown to be irrational, which I think is another point of saying like, again, if you if this film was to come out at another point at some point in the future, you know, probably less so now, but if you did it in sort of the eighties or the nineties, early two thousands. That sheriff would be gung ho, guns are blazing, yeah. and you would it would be a lot more irrational response than. Um, and he might be like a conservative stereotype, you know, like he's mm. like you know he's got he's got some shotgun on the wall with like a and it's got he's got a name for it and it's yeah. mounted and he's like <laughs> yeah. you know uh you know Me and old Bessie, are take on those aliens yeah. <laughs> right it, it, it's time to put you to use. You know, dad, Papa always said this day would come, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but, I, you know, that gets back to this sort of humanism of sort of like, you know, I mean, the closest that sheriff gets to irrationality is that fight where he has to be restrained. And he's just angry about, like, what are they doing? I don't have these reassurances. Um, it's not really irrational. I mean, he's worked up, but that's as close as this goes. And I think that. It's so important that there is no villain here. Yeah. Nobody is a bad guy. Everybody is understandable. Yeah. They, they just, I mean, again, it comes down to information. You know, the aliens are like, well, you can't handle us in our, in our current form. But you get this one guy who's like, you, you're probably right. And when they do show it, he is like, ew, you know. But he's making an attempt to, to, engage and discuss and, and you know form that communication channel mm. and in so doing understands why they're here but the police it's also a show it's a show of good faith right because it's yeah. like i want you to i'm concerned that you're you're talking about trust i'm concerned that you're concealing something mm. you admit you're concealing what you look like so it's a show of good faith tell me or show me this thing that you know i'm not going to like hearing or seeing yeah. Right. That's a that's important in all relationships. Mm. You know, we have to mm. say things that we know the other person doesn't like. Yeah, and I think when you get to this, you know, the uh, the sheriff again, take into consideration his role in the town. Like he's got to try and you know quell this, or at least uh, he has none of this information. He just knows what he knows, and really, his training and everything is okay. Well, I've got to do it. I. I mean, you know, in, I have the authority in the, to enforce this, and so he's only doing his role. And like you say, he's not doing it out of malice or some sort of arrogance or even sport. Like it's not, you say, it's not that gung ho moment of like you know where you'd see like a wall of like taxidermied animals and him like I'm going to add an alien to my collection. <laughs> like, it's nothing like that though, is it? It's not played that way. So like you say, they're just different parties that just don't have information or do have information. Yeah, we could write a, uh, a, a sort of a cliche alien invasion. Yeah. It would be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, so I just find it interesting again that like, you know, maybe you know, I, I thought... 
I honestly thought that we'd go back to these 50s films and we'd be poking fun at, you know, look at these rinky-dink effects and these sort of like these naive people from the 50s. And I'm finding that we're going, no, they they were, apart from some, you know, um, diversity issues that we, you know, we, we blatantly point out, actually, they seem to have a better handle on things than we seem to at the moment in some cases. Um, yeah, and... and- they're doing what they're doing and you know the the sets the money is limited the special effects are limited but but these aren't dumb scripts um Mm. you know it is uh this script was originally written by ray bradbury you know uh you know ray bradbury and then the the director like rewrote dialogue Mm. and whatever and got a co-credit but um you know i mean this is Freaking Ray Bradbury, mm. you know, wrote. I mean, this is serious stuff. It's, you know, it's good stuff. And, uh, you know, I like that. I think that it's easy to sort of mock the 50s and mock, you know, and, and definitely the number one thing the 50s deserves to be mocked about is the diversity. It yeah. is the sort of like, and, and this idea of just American goodness, you know, yeah. in, in a dumb way. I mean, there are good things about America, but there are bad things about America. Um, the thing that I never get over about the fifties is, you know, every image of a diner where, you know, <laughs> it's not a black in sight, you know, it's just the happy white kids. Um, but I was thinking about, you know, if this is an encounter, what, who do you encounter in the desert? Uh, who did this, who did white people encounter as they went out and conquered, uh, the Southwest? Well, you know, two groups. Uh, Native Americans, number mm-hmm. one, and number two, Mexicans, that in fact, that whole territory was stolen from, effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and here's an encounter between different people that doesn't have to end in violence, where, you know, you think about how many encounters with Native Americans, um, you know, in reality, often went peaceably, but there's this lack of trust and when people have guns and lack of trust, bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, this idea of, you know, escalation and stuff, like I say, not just in, in, you know, that, that thing, especially like I say in those areas, disputed areas or, or, you know, areas of where there would be animosity anyway, it's going to happen. But you see it in communities now as well, you know, not, I'm not just about gangs and that's, that's different, but, um, escalation. I mean, especially now, this idea of like this, this, um, you know, diversity and the separation of groups, and not just because of the lack of information, but that that lack of a desire to engage. You know, well, I, I could get the information quite easily. I don't want to because mm. I've got the information I want that suits my um, narrative, and so that's all I want. Um. And again, this sort of challenges that because it could quite easily be taken down that route of just going, well, I've got this story and that's why I'm sticking to it. Like, you know, this film really wants to show you that thing of like, no, 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 L- listen, learn, try and, you know, it's going to take a bit of trust, but you've got to get that additional information so that you can make a, a more informed decision. And I think well, that goes back to that idea. They talk about, yes, it's not articulated well, but this idea of the flat earth and then learning more. It's this idea of like, yeah, over time, you're going to in, you're going to ingest more information 
And you've got to be open to changing your ideas and saying, yeah, well, I used to think this, but now I've learned stuff and actually that wasn't quite right. And now I've got to think about it a different way. I'm so glad to hear you say this, Scott, because I've got some some Hollow Earth documentaries that I'm waiting <laughs> to show you. Uh, and then when you're done with those, the 9-11 Truther ones. Uh, but um, well, if, you're, if you're showing me those, uh, then I'm going to show you with the reptilians and the royal family. Uh, it's it's mind blowing. Um, are the uh, are the royals reptilians? They are. And if you watch the Oprah Winfrey inf- interview, all the evidence is there in the way that <laughs> Harry is sitting. And <laughs> well, you know, if you, you think if I'm you, look at you his think his I'm fingers, joking, you yeah. count the. I, oh yeah, is this a real thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. Jeez. I could find you. I could find them on YouTube very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I love to pretend that this stuff. This is like I, half the world. <clears throat> I can only survive by dimly being aware that it exists. <laughs> and like abstractly, I know people like this exist. I don't really want to believe it, and I don't internalize that information. Um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it is very difficult. Um, I I was gonna say that the. It, you know, just to piggyback on what you were saying, that the fact that the main character not only has to trust and has to get this information and learn, but also that he has to take what's really like a last-ditch radical step mm-hmm. of literally he has to physically prohibit <laughs> his own people from going into that cave because he knows there's no they're the ones who can't listen to reason. He can't argue with them. He he knows there's no hope of getting this armed mob. They're not totally irrational, but they're going to go into that cave and try to figure this out for themselves. He has to create this desperate physical barrier. And I think there's a, you know, thinking about the sort of like dead man switch, there's a sort of like argument here for having that courage to stand up to power. Um, Cause he's standing up to that sheriff. Um, Mm. This might not go well for him. He doesn't seem to be arrested at the end, but that sheriff could very easily arrest him even after the movie's over and just say, you know, you have, you have in fact obstructed a lawman in the course of his duties. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a version of this film where, like you say, um, you know, <clears throat> or even a post, like at end of this, the end of this film, he's dragged away. You know, and again, I think there would be a version of this film later on if the military are involved or the FBI or something like that that says, like, you know, you've prevented this or you, you know, you've, and then he gets dragged away, sort of thing. And it's sort of that sacrifice is, is part of the story. But, um, yeah, he does. And it, it's a two, it's a double edged sword, though, because he's trying to prevent, you know, he's obviously trying to let the aliens go, but in many ways, he's trying to save their lives as well. You know, by letting them, by stopping them from going into that cave or confronting the aliens, like you know, with their rifles and whatever, like you know, he's like, no, no, they've got lasers, right? <laughs> yeah, that like your 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 poxy little hunting rifles and stuff ain't gonna do squat, really. So, um, you know, by by creating that barrier, yeah, he's he's pissed them off, but he's also acting as he's technically saving, he's trying to save their lives as well, which is uh, an interesting way of sort of presenting it. Right, like presumably the the aliens would just detonate their craft, and it's and then it's not clear like how big that explosion would be. Um, like presumably it wouldn't destroy the entire planet; it would just destroy this area and certainly kill them. Mm. And uh, 
you know, they, they make comments about not letting this technology fall, you know, into the hands of humans. So clearly it would destroy the craft and the people there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not going to go well for the sheriff. No, uh, no, I was thinking I was thinking in a way it's there's a there's a like Jordan Peele version of this movie where it is more diverse and the aliens find that, you know, they can wander around the town and nobody questions them despite, you know, stammering and everything. But, you know, they took the form of a black guy and for some reason, everybody questions him and instantly, you know, yeah. shoots him on sight when he acts weird, you know? Yeah, there's a there's a, there's a a slight comedy version of this. In fact, like you say, it'd be a sketch, wouldn't it, where like, there's four aliens, three of them white, one of them black, and the black one's the one that gets stopped, and the other three are like... <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. Like, what? How have we got by this? Like, you know, this alien culture looking at us and going, "I don't understand this at all." Right, and then, and then the other three say, "Well, you know, they do this sort of like the the white invalidation thing of going like, well, what did you do to get stopped, fellow alien? You know, yeah. we've all <laughs> taken human forms. You yeah. must have done something different. Let, right? Let's assess this information. Let's assess like how this how this happened." Yeah, th- there is. There's a way of doing it. It's an interesting, uh, it'd be an interesting path to go down, really. Um, again, I say it's it is a very white town. I think you know they never they were never going to cross that line in in, in fifty three. Um, maybe later. I mean, I'll be interested to see if we get to future films as we go down the down, maybe not with this season but later on if we do come back and say do you remember that should be watched you know it it came from came from out of space and sort of have that a different thought on it um i mean this idea that the, that the alien trying to destroy the technology as well um you know it, it comes up again and that's mm-hmm. that's i mean you know, one of the most famous i can think of is predator and and at the end the end of that but um that that again is 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 a, is a human trait because i know that during wars um, if a, if a, you know a, a more advanced army can't take it with it, it will destroy what it has to leave behind. Whether it be guns and um, even in World War One, mm-hmm. as they as you know, I know that if they, if a, even the British or the or the German force or whatever knew they were going to lose a trench or whatever, they would do they would destroy defenses and guns and and you know battlements to make sure that they couldn't be used against them and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. In this idea of destroying stuff, it's it, it sort of again um, common sense, I suppose, Inter- intergalactic common sense. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that it's sort of like a human projection onto these right. aliens that they would want to do that. Um, but it does it does remind me of sort of like how this has become such a trope that aliens sort of you know it's sort of like the Star Trek First Contact. I say the right? Prime Directive. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, exactly that. Of sort of like, don't screw with their culture. They're not ready for this. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing. Like, say, of, of you know, as a human, we don't really care because we'll just, we'll land on an island and be like first contact, and we're like, you know, don't care. Where's your gold? <laughs> Where's your resources uh, and minerals? We're taking them. Um, but again, we do project that. Like we, you know, obviously. G, um, uh, Gene Roddenberry projected it into Star Wars, uh, Wars bloody hell, into Star Trek, mm-hmm. and then we have the another, another films where you know where aliens have said like, no, no, we cannot leave this behind. Um, you're not ready. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it is weird how we put ourselves in in this boat, and it, it's we said about this humanist approach. This film takes, but we it happens. We either are the victorious force over a superior um, invading force, you know, Independence Day, or uh, you know Mars Attacks, or one of those, or we're sort of acknowledged as being this backwater sort of like you know not evolved yet. Yeah. planet you know we seem to have this idea of being like well if these aliens are coming to us and they're clearly more advanced so we're like you know we're the sort of the less evolved um okay yes yeah, technologically but there must be you know it's a, it's, a, it's a trope again isn't it this idea of like you're not ready for this because you're not advanced enough and at some point are we going to reach a point where we go as a human race we are advanced enough now to accept this technology or is it always going to be a trope that we're going to have to deal with well, I mean, I think it's objectively true that we're we're not, you know, really ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I still worry about nuclear war. I don't think, you know, it, it's proven that the world isn't going to end in, in nuclear war. We've been very lucky for 70 years or so. But um, but uh, it's not at all clear that uh, there won't be nuclear exchanges. And I think, in fact, the odds are pretty good if you run the clock forward enough you get something like that um barring some sort of technological change um so i mean in in a sense i just think objectively right they are more sophisticated but if you think if you think like socially right think Mm -hmm. of how different we are we were talking before the show about victorian mores think of how different we are from the victorian period Think of how different mm-hmm. we are from a hundred years ago, from you know the the sort of post immediate aftermath of World War One. My God, we're a totally different culture. Imagine going back to that culture and saying, "Oh yeah, you know, the first thing you've got, you know, oh this is my this is my trans officer here." Well, the first thing <laughs> you have to understand is that gender is a social construct. It's different yeah. than sex, <laughs> and and here are the different spectrums. Mm. Uh, you know, they just be like. What the hell are you talking about? This is yeah, all we, I, yeah. I don't understand. We've only like, just started to break down class barriers. Can we get? <laughs> we'll come to gender later. Like, right? You know, and I mean, you know, uh, and, and then you start talking about, uh, you know, and it's like, oh, here's my here's my female officer with a nose ring. You know, yeah. like, does she? Does she want to be a man that she present mm-hmm. doesn't concerned about beauty? Where's her dress? You know, it's like, no, she doesn't think this is ugly. You know, this is part of her. Is that like, like what, what yeah. is going on? I mean, you know, all of, I mean, basic dumb shit would just be shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that how would you even begin to explain that stuff? Uh, the terminology doesn't exist. And that's a hundred years. Imagine the social, you know, situation of uh, not only a civilization that is, say, 10,000 years more advanced, but also made of protoplasm or whatever these guys are made of. Um, Do they even have gender? You know, do they even have sex? We don't know anything about this. Yeah, procreation um, might be a completely different. Well, that, and that drives a lot of how society works, isn't it? Really, this sort of like you know, this the need for a society to continue is driven obviously by the need to procreate, and that's sort of how 
sort of you know that need to survive the lower levels of, of Maslow's hierarchy is obviously there to, to drive it so it's all driven around that really so if, yeah, if that's different then your culture is different I suppose my 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 lower hierarchy is is was always collecting transformers toys so <laughs> I I've been doing human wrong I you know yeah I mean it's very strange uh but I do I do buy that you know like we would not be able to understand and that we would seem, you know, I mean, we would seem we're animals. I mean, and mm. we would seem as primitive as depending on the society, you know, is as us going to some ants and saying, look, we have problems with the way you are conceptualizing hierarchy here. It's not entirely fair. You know, yeah. uh, we like you. We want to share some better anthill technology with you, but you know, you guys have some social justice issues you're going to have to work out. You know. It does, yeah. It, I, you know, I do wonder about, it, weirdly about these things, about first, true first contact. You know, I, I, I as I said, recently read that, uh, read that book about the presidents and aliens and, 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 and UFOs. It's fascinating, mostly garbage. Um, but the, the concept of, you know, this first contact, and it's suggested in that book that it's already happened and, and all this other stuff, but as a species, or even as a planet, like you say, if if a spaceship was to land, and a lot, there's always there's always a, a phrase, that's like, if the spaceship was to land on the White House lawn, like they knew where they'd have mm. to go, like they've, you know, they've got a GPS that tells them, but they could land anywhere. And then they say, you know, like say, take me to your leader. Whatever that is, whatever continent, whatever piece of land that is, it would. I still don't. Move, it wouldn't unify us. It would create more mm. barriers because they'd be like, oh, they chose to land in Russia. Oh, they chose to land in North Africa. Oh, they they chose to land wherever. Because mm-hmm. they won't land on one of the islands. They're going to land on a large piece of land wherever that is, um, and then. Beyond that, like you say, how does that impact on people's perceptions? And we, we we're talking from a social construct. We're talking obviously, you know, we mentioned gender, but all these people with with religious beliefs or mm-hmm. uh, their own personal beliefs, it would shatter yeah. that. You know, like you say, all of a sudden it's like you know, an alien species comes around and says, "Oh, you you believe in a, a deity <laughs> cr- created right. all this?" Yeah. All right, well, you're clearly not ready for what we're about to tell you, so uh, <laughs> we'll be back in a couple of thousand years. Right. Well, think about how much, you know, just physics has changed our understanding of the universe in the last hundred years. Mm. I mean, you know, uh, it, it is unimaginable how how different we conceive of the universe. Um, I did want to throw in a mention to of Star Trek Enterprise, because you said, like, there's, you know, you were talking about how it's either conflict or it's this sort of, like, uh, prime directive thing. Mm. There is this sort of suggestion in Enterprise that, you know, you see the first contact in uh, Star Trek First Contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then Enterprise takes place, like, you know, 80 years later or something. And the idea is, like, uh, humans are kind of pissed off. And they're like, you know... We're still on Earth. We've got this like prototype ship. You Vulcans keep visiting us, but you're not giving us your technology. And the yeah. Vulcans are like, 
yet you're not ready for it, right? We have this like civilization of logic and we're trying to acculturate you slowly to it, but you still have guys out in the sticks who are, you know, you know, living on farms and, and are just like, these dirty Vulcans don't belong here. You know, yeah. uh, you guys are a long way away from being ready to do what we're doing. And, and the humans are just like, yeah, we want that warp drive already. Yeah. You know, well, they mm. have the warp drive, but we want what you have. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's going to be that problem, right? Uh, first contact isn't going to be like, you know, I say isn't going to be. Well, I believe aliens exist, but uh, yeah. it isn't going to be whenever, you know, first of all, we're not going to necessarily recognize that species, know how to speak to them. If we can, it, we're going to have big cultural differences. Mm -hmm. And nobody's going to say, oh, you like the the monolith? Well, here's your own to play with, you yeah. uh, crazy apes. Well, it's, it's, it's two things that sort of spring to mind is, you know, we now have Space Force, not the comedy, but, you know, the real thing. Um, and, and to me, again, not to, to hammer home the American thing, because it's, 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 it's just unfortunate that you guys did it first. But it's, a, it, it's determined as a military, it's, it's determined as a branch of the military, which to me determines it as a def you say defense but it's an offensive um position to take mm -hmm. it says that says to, to the rest of the world and to whatever else that we, we have now have a force that is directing weapons into space <laughs> to protect us and we feel that that is the right thing to do you go okay well that's fine you know but again it's not about you know cooperation or collaboration it's just finding another frontier in which to fight really well i mean that's been a point of contention for a long time that you know mm -hmm. essentially until the trump administration it's been official u.s policy and in fact international policy that space must not ever be militarized mm -hmm. um and there have been rumors of you know some sort of uh u.s offensive weaponry you know in in orbit but you know, there are secret military components to some of these shuttle flights, right, that are classified. We don't know what those refer to. Um, it is worth mentioning that, you know, the not only are gravity weapons very cheap once you get them in orbit, but that um, it would be very simple with a high-powered laser uh, mm. positioned in around six as geosynchronous satellites around the planet to essentially take down any satellite you wanted. Yeah. Um, and, and there are rumors that other countries are doing this, that there is this, but whether those are true, I don't know. Um, but for most of my life, certainly it's been the rule of thumb that space must not go down that direction. And I don't think we're prepared for it to do so. Mm. Um, I don't think, you know, we, you know, look, we are overdue for another solar flare that essentially fries all of our technology. Mm. That is quite possible. That could happen tomorrow. You know, mm. every, you know, the, we're overdue. We were overdue for a pandemic and we all knew it was going to happen. And now it's happened. Yeah. At some point, we're going to have another solar flare. And we don't know how long that will set us back. But it certainly will have effects. 
Um, what happens if there is a strike on our communication satellites and all of a sudden cell phones don't work, mm -hmm. GPS doesn't work? How much of our society, you know, satellite TV doesn't work, for God's sake. I mean, what yeah. would we do? There would be mass confusion. So, yeah, I, I don't know that we're ready for even mm -hmm. our own technology. No, that's a good point. I mean, you know, as it is, again, it comes to that thing that was a good, the technological curve, isn't it? The sort of the bell curve. It's well, the bell curve. The technical curve. It's exponential. It's going up. That at some point, we get to a point where technology, where, and it happens with all of us. You know, like you get handed a phone and you uh, a smartphone and you go, yeah, I get that. It's got apps on it. Hand it to my grandparents, and they're just like. <laughs> It doesn't have a rotary thing on it. <laughs> I can't yeah. call. I can't call you. It doesn't work. <laughs> it, it does, now. Just stop, stop, stop doing what you're doing. Um, no, it's true. And I, I do wonder at times. You know, and, and I've said that. I think you and I have had this conversation before. Like, you know, if, if you and I have got certain technology on our phones, that's because it's commercially available. What is at the bleeding edge of technology that we have no idea about? Like, you know, and, and you know, how ready are we for for that? And you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's a good point. If it's taken away, though, I think we would, you know, I think we would panic. Um, uh, you know, take away sort of social media, or, or like you say, and also like you say, we moved from television and stuff. We moved from analog to digital, you know, several years ago, a number of years ago. If those satellites are gone and that analog's no longer working, mm -hmm. you haven't got a backward pedal to go right in an emergency. We use this. You know, because um, everyone's using even t even radio. I listen, if I listen to the radio at all, whether if it's a podcast, or whatever, I'm listening to it through my phone. Right. So I'm not listening to it through an AM and FM sort of situation. I'm listening through DAB. So yeah, it would be very interesting if that was to happen. Um, you know, um, as Snake Pliskin says at the end of uh, Escape from LA, "Welcome to the rat race." Um, you know, and that that would be back to that, wouldn't it? Um, so, yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I wonder how quickly we'd recover. I mean, you know, you you think about how how many cars wouldn't function correctly. Uh, well, I mean, Tesla would be screwed, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. Well, but but cars now don't have keys. They they yeah. have an electronic start, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's you can't find a car these days that has mm. a, a key. So that's not going to work. You can't. That means you know, essentially. All cars, but these old heaps, to, you know, and if this happens 15 years from now, there's not going to be any cars that are functioning. You think about the disruption of the supply chains that happened uh, during COVID. Well, all those supply chains are coordinated by computers and in many cases using advanced algorithms. What happens when you're just like, yeah, you know, I mean, look, I'm pretty willing to bet you and I would not remember many phone numbers. A lot of people don't remember their own phone number. Yeah. So, well, you know. I think, I think actually, really, we are going, you see, you know, not just COVID, but the Suez Canal incident is happening mm. now. You know, and, and, and it's one of those things you don't think about, or you don't even know that there is a very, very small, narrow strip of water, man made, which makes up for apparently more than three or 4% of world trade routes. Mm hmm. And this one ship has made a bit of a balls up and it's, it's, it's become a crisis. If you lose all the technology, or, or, or I can guarantee a lot of those ships are reply, relying on digital tracking information, 
digital digital communication devices, all that's gone. Yeah, all of a sudden you are driving a super tanker by what you can see out the window. <laughs> yeah. Well, ne- never mind the planes that fall out of the sky, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, nobody's and, and then nobody's flying a plane. I mean, you have to replace everything. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, there's this stuff will happen at some point. Yeah, um, you're talking me into being one of those sort of crazy survivalists. I'm going to dig a bunker in my garden, and and fill it with guns and tin fruit. <laughs> yeah, my brother already's there. I mean, you know, if I could get up there, he's got he has an AR, um, you know, and has a you know other stuff too, and has uh, lots of uh, lots of food. When the pandemic hit, he stockpiled like two years worth of food on top of the like year he already had. So, you know, yeah. yeah. And again, you know, we, we know we've seen that people wouldn't cooperate. I don't think cooperation is in our nature at this point. I think there would be, you know, desperation. Um, moving on to a more sort of maybe more positive thought, thought process. Um, one of the things we talk about is this idea of the aliens communicating with us uh, or communicate in this film. It happens in loads of films. The aliens come down and they're able to communicate with us. Um, I'm not sure if it was you or somebody else once made a comment to me about, well, you know, we see films where we anthropomorphize an animal and it's able to speak English. But if you were to truly take one of those animals and give them the ability to speak English, even then we would not be able to communicate because their worldview and their, their list of experiences is so vastly different to ours that it's not a language barrier. It's actually there's a whole load of barriers that goes with it. And it feels like the same with this film. Firstly, you know, I don't know how they learn to speak English, but this idea of them learning the language doesn't mean that they would be able to communicate or articulate ideas. Uh, as you sort of said, you said about the language would be different, that the words wouldn't exist. Then there would be things where they would look at our language and you'd have to translate mm-hmm. their communication methods to ours in order for them to be able to, to look at our language. And again, it's just taken for granted in films, but like, yeah, that's the other thing. If we have first contact, like, yeah, how do you communicate? I think Arrival is one of the best films mm-hmm. for, and I, I love that film. Um, this idea of how other beings would communicate. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, usually you get around this with like in Star Trek, it's the Universal Translator. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, the psychic uh, the field TARDIS. of the TARDIS. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, but usually they don't even reference it, right? Yeah. Usually it's, you know, it's just forgotten and it's like, once a season, oh yeah. it's once I, I find, I watched a bit of, of, um, I watched a lot of Doctor Who, but I started watching a lot of second, um, next gen, Star Trek mm-hmm. Next Generation. At least once a season, they'll just be right. like, Universal Translator, and then yeah. we'll go, ah, oh, yeah, fine, carry on. <laughs> and that's it till the next season. But there are situations on Doctor Who where the TARDIS will literally be gone. Yeah. You know, it's been sent away because it's, of course, it's a plot problem to have the TARDIS there. Now, you know, everybody still can understand everything, you know, <laughs> because you, you forget about it. Uh, the end result is everyone speaks English. But I think you're right. I mean, I'm not sure how they understand. And, you know, I, I think that uh, I found myself thinking about consciousness watching this film and, um, about the alien consciousness and how they would see us. Mm. Um, you know, they're replicating our appearance, but you're talking about sort of like, how do you replicate the thought? 
not just the speech, but mm. but the thought. And yeah, maybe it makes sense that they speak slowly because they're putting together <laughs> these thoughts and anything. Yeah, well, it's funny because again, you know, I, you, you, you can speak French. Um, yeah, uh, it, well, I would say you know, I, you know, uh, fluently, you know, well, if, and if anything, better than me. And I live next door to the French. Um, you know, we, I have a basic concept, but even if I learn a language, to me, it's thoughts in English. Translate the thoughts, mm-hmm. verbalize it, and that's so that causes a slowness. And like you know, you have to be incredibly fluent in a language, whatever the language is, to be able to. And I, I've met people that can do it. I know people that um, when I was at university, I, I uh, we I lived with a Portuguese girl that um, could. She obviously spoke Portuguese, but she spoke English fluently. And when she spoke with us, she thought in English. She, she said, oh, mm-hmm. "I communicate with you," and I think in that way. That to me is incredibly impressive. Like that's, you know, that's miles beyond what I'm capable of doing in another language. And so it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of practice and stuff. And so yeah, for them to be talking slowly, I suppose makes sense. But also like, what effort has gone into them translating the language to begin with? Je rêve en français quelquefois. Um, I dream in French sometimes. Um, mm. I find for me, I I have. I think in French when I'm having a French conversation and I will look back and I will think, did I have that conversation in English or French? <laughs> and I literally, I, you know, it's like I'm in Paris and I can't, I'll be like, did that person shift to English? And I, and I'll think, no, I must've had that in French. Um, but there are words that I don't know or an expression that I can't think of where I'm, I'm stuck and I, mm. And then it pulls me out of it, and then I'm I'm thinking in English and doing the translation, um, but that takes you know probably ten years of you know of working consistently, not just it being like an occasional hobby. Um, it takes a long time, mm. and even then, it's not perfect. You know, it's far from a native speaker. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can come up with these devices like a universal translator or something that does it for you. But, you know, the thing that I find is, I mean, translation is an art. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in whether it's in French or, or in, in studying literature, you know, you study translation and you understand that nothing is ever, there's no such thing as a one-to-one translation. It just mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Because e- even, if, even if you say the most obvious phrase, like I have, I have five of that. Um, well, what is the cultural significance of the number five? It's different. You know, if you have five fingers on your hand, five means di- is something different than if you're an alien and you have two tentacles or, you know, a hundred tentacles. Uh, you have a very different, you know, there are lucky numbers, there are, you know, contexts. And, and that's the most obvious thing. Usually, we have strange expressions about, you know, um, about things and how we understand concepts. You know, nobody, nobody is going to stop me. Try explaining, you know, the difference between nobody's going to stop me and anybody is going to stop me. Mm. You have to conceptualize a negative thing. How do you explain a double negative? I mean, these are nuances that 
it's very, yeah, I mean, how do you translate these things? And, and you're never making a one-to-one -one translation. Yeah, which is when you get the fun of like Google Translate, when you see people put a sentence or something into Google Translate and then take it through four different languages, then put it back into its original language and it's come out completely different. And mm -hmm. that's because it's literally taking the words and trying to do a one-to-one a -one comparison and saying, well, I know that that is that and doesn't apply the context or the you know some of the other nuances that come with it. It's um, fun. I work with international artists, and, mm. and some of them have different levels of English. And occasionally you get you get sentences back where you say, like, okay, I need to figure this out, right? And you're like, okay, <laughs> that's not what he means, right? And so then you start figuring out, okay, what are the synonyms for that that could have translated into that through Google Translate, right? <laughs> and you start back, you know, <laughs> reverse engineering it. <laughs> I do that but with some of the just, English. To be fair, I do yeah. that with some of the English people I know as well. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, you know, re, uh, ha having taught uh, freshman composition, you know, um, the other thing is nothing teaches you how to how to speak a language because dictionaries are lies. Mm. You know, a diction. You know, the worst thing is, you know, a student who says. Well, that's the right word. It means what I'm saying it means because here's the dictionary definition. And you're like, yeah, but you're using it in a context where we would never use it. Mm. It clearly has this other meaning. The dictionary hasn't captured that. We would never, you know, technically it does mean that, but we would never use it in this context. It sounds really weird. Yeah, it doesn't what, mean what, what are the mean. three words that precede it? You know, sort of like, does it give it the same context? Is it in, what's the sentence it's followed by and, and that sort of thing? It's Nothing exists in, in that individual word. Um, so, yeah, and you're right about the consciousness as well. Like, you know, um, th this idea of um, an alien having the same sort of linear consciousness as we would have, Um and you know it, it's fine it works and it's, it's in most things i mean one of the few times that we do get this in again one of my touchdown references is like lovecraft mm -hmm. you know lovecraft um in, in some of his stories is openly sort of saying like you know these things are so alien they don't care about us at all but even in a sort of some of the more lower uh smaller stories there's almost where he, he crosses with an, an entity where they're like oh no, no no like you cannot understand the way this thing thinks mm -hmm. like you know at all um and, and it, that, that's totally true you know and i think i think he himself even in some uses this analogy of sort of saying an ant to a person like you mm -hmm. you do not have mm -hmm. the same thought process like it's not the same so don't think that you would have the same thought process as something from outer space yeah i did find myself thinking of lovecraft uh watching mm. this and i've gotten more into lovecraft in the last year or so um and I, I did find myself thinking, especially the idea of the sort of cosmic horror, the sort of like reaction to their looks, mm. uh, because it's such a classic Lovecraftian cliche of people sort of like snap going crazy on a yeah. dime, right? Yeah. You know, it's like the horror, the horror, and their brains just can't contain the old ones, you know? Um, and... So I sort of felt there was a little bit of that of like, you know, if you gaze upon the horror that is this this alien, you know, mm. it, and they do seem 
they're not crazy, but they do seem shaken up for a while afterwards. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah. There's a definite and tentacles and and you know numbers of eyes is definitely a, a Lovecraftian thing. Um, but yeah, again, like I say, um, I, I like this idea of consciousness. It's not really played out in the film, but it would definitely play out, you know, in a future version. And again, is this, there what there was a sequel done to this in the in in the late early nineties? I, I had a look on IMDb. I won't be watching it. It has. Less than three, I think around three out of ten on that. So I'm like, yeah, not not going to get my time. But one of the things I've thought about as we've gone through, especially from the fifties, is could this work as a remake? If you were to take this concept now, could you do it again? Um, and <clears throat> I think the, the film we did, you know, we did we did last week um, when worlds collide. The science would have to change. We do it a lot, you know, Armageddon or even like recently Greenland. Like we've tried to sort of address this idea of world devastation and we've just, we just come up with different end results. Um, and so that's why sort of like thinking about this film, I thought, could, could they remake this film? Would, they, would it work today? Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned about the sort of Jordan Peele approach or some other. I think, yeah, you could. I think you'd just have to, you, you would just hit on some different themes. But I, I think this film could become incredibly um, important if it was to be remade in, in, a, uh, in a in a clever way. What do you think? No, I agree very much. I mean, I, I think it has to be done in a clever artistic way mm. and, and let it breathe. Um but probably if it were done today, there would be a lot more focus on what's going on in that town socially, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and this idea of sort of, I mean, we've had many remakes of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm -hmm. They all reflect their time. Um, you know, this would have to sort of reflect, um, you know, what what it's like to have these people these aliens in human form wandering about the town and what how the town reacts to them to as others or not i mean these are layers of meaning that we are accustomed to dealing with in one way or another that they weren't accustomed to th dealing with in the 50s yeah and i think now especially with you know um whether it be uh, Islamophobia, or you know, the 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 fake caravans of people coming across the border in America, or the the you know the hundreds of people apparently swimming across the channel that Pretty Patel wants to catch with nets. This idea of the fear of immigrants or the, the of, of countries, you know, sovereign states, and you know, we are now a sovereign country like we weren't before. Um, you know, this idea of the sovereignty of a country being invaded, and this idea of the other. Um, I think there's a lot. This film could really mind post Trump, post Brexit, and all that kind of thing. I think you know you could really do something with this film, and you know, um, but you can all. There's so much stuff. It's just it's so prescient. Like you know, this idea of the, the idea of escalation and, and militarization of a local police force. Like you know, yeah, you don't need mm. the military involved. In this just a police force comes out fully kitted up and ready to start blowing aliens up. You like. Yeah, why? Well, you know, we got it. We might as well use it. Um, you know, th this idea of then, th I like this idea of us not being ready to, you know, receive this information and uh, an alien going like, yeah, your 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 planet's sc screwed up. Um, 
we don't want to be here. <laughs> and, you know, but then, like, even, like, begging, like, we, you could help us, make us better. And them saying, like, no, you, we can't. Like, you've got to deal with this yourselves. You, you can't be parented into this. Um, I thought I'd, I'd like to see that, actually, a, a version of that that's done well. That's not just a aliens come to Earth and we've got to beat them kind of thing. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's how, I mean, I think that's sort of the Jordan Peele thing. I think you have to acknowledge just that different context in which we're mm. aware of these issues. I also find myself thinking of colonization, although they're not here to colonize. Um, I often think of the, there's an Alan Moore future shock in 2000 AD where, you know, um, aliens come and they, they offer, I think it's like some random person, you know, some amount of, you know, alien cash or, or goods in exchange for the, you know, swaths of the planet, uh, mm. you know, sort of like buying Manhattan. And, um, you know, this is a thing up a vacation site here for our, our species. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, so I, I find myself thinking about that and the need to trust, um, you know, that, that message at the end of sort of, um, not escalating, um, not perceiving an invasion where there isn't one. Um, but it would be tricky because in a remake, you ha you would have to try to navigate these issues without falling back on, like you said, the the conservative cliches that we were talking mm -hmm. about. Like I'm gonna get old Bessie, and you know, like yeah. you know, you know, this is America. Ain't no one come to America without evil intent, or you know, just like some crazy cliche like that. Um, while also being sensitive to, obviously, you know, the, the analogs for the other or the immigrant. Well, again, <clears throat> maybe you do it across the gender gap. Like, you have the sheriff be an old boy, you know, who is who's had that experience, who comes from that world of, like, you know, like you say, that, you know, all immigrants are bad or, like, holds those views. And maybe because of their life experience, they do have that you know they've lived through the reagan era or <clears throat> all these others and they've lived through whatever that sort of put that thought into them against make the scientist a lot younger in fact don't make them a scientist make them um you know early 20s teenager maybe even just someone who's willing to stay like, uh, i don't want to say greta thunberg but like that sort of thing of saying like no no, no we represent the future not you Mm -hmm. let let us start to use you know let's let's forget the old ways or let's at least try and be a bit more collaborative let's think to the future and maybe have it a bit more you know the last film uh when world's clark we talked about its ideas limited as they were but about this idea of saving the future generations you know the, the ideas mm -hmm. for the future you know take it down that route of having a much younger cast and sort of you know and not kidify it i don't mean stranger things kind of way but i'm saying like have it as a younger protagonist that's like, no, no, look, I've seen that we could, they don't want to, but E.T. did it, you know, E.T.'s like that, make friends, have Elliot, kind of, maybe not a child, but I don't know, there's ways of doing it where you can address that idea of the generation gap as well, of like, yeah, we don't have to rely on the old ways anymore, there are better ways of doing this. Yeah, it's so tricky these days, though, because you'd, you'd have to make that town more diverse, right? The mm -hmm. reality is, the Southwest is, um, depending on the town, still predominantly white, but, you know, there are towns that are predominantly Hispanic. Mm. Um, and certainly 
nobody is no place is that small and and white um so you know it's a different context so so once you acknowledge that if you if it's said in the present day then you run into issues of like you know well you want people to have to come from different experiences but you don't want them to be cliche so you don't want like the you know like the primary you know to have one hispanic character who's like you know we you know my family came here you know and uh you know we didn't have evil intent. some people thought we had evil intent you know it's like okay there's that moralizing Mm -hmm. sort of cliche um yeah so i think i think it's very hard when you're talking about these issues of representation to get those right um which you'd have to do because the story is about that and fights mm. that. And then yeah. people would say, you're politicizing it. You know, good say, old, the original wasn't political at all. Yeah, and then we'd say, say, of course it is. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, we're going to politicize it. And you go, yes, but that's mostly what science fiction does at some level. Like everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that argument. You know, the original was, what was it even sort of like, I've seen arguments of like Watchmen isn't political, or that like you know, like you say, fifty sci, yeah, fifty sci-fi isn't political, and you sort of go, really, like you know, like you said, we had films like you know, when the Earth stood still, it's <laughs> like or Invasion of the Body Snatchers, yeah. and, you know, all of it is, you know, everything is political, and you know, I don't know, it's it, I mean, I I feel the same, anything like don't blank, including don't sexualize it, well, mm-hmm. you know, everything's already sexual, it might not be. Crudely tantalizing yeah. and, and whatnot, but there are, you know, we're human beings. <laughs> you know, there are these layers to everything. We're political beings, we're sexual beings. Everything already ex- is permeated by our psyches and all aspects of our psyches. You might object to the way it's done, perfectly true, but, you know, it's it was always already political. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we'll wrap up a bit, but maybe the way to do it is that you'd, you'd have to go to the extreme uh, in, in really pushing some of those buttons. And so maybe, and again, I'm not, maybe I'm, you know, okay, educated enough in some of these topics, but maybe I'd have to, to really hammer home this idea of the otherness and this idea of trust and, and really, you know, this older generation that feels uncomfortable, not just have it about race, have a trans character as the main protagonist. A character that's saying sort of like you know just trust and collab and cooperate not just across race but across sort of like you know gender and uh, sexual orientation and everything sort of like, I think you know you really have to push some buttons to to you, know, you really could as well and I think it would be great but it'd be interesting. I'm convinced that there is a whole bevy of science fiction that is yet to be produced or certainly widely encountered involving trans characters uh, mm-hmm. and using trans experience as um, as uh, a way of connecting or, or the plot as a metaphor for that experience. I mean, here we have people changing shape, you yeah. know? Uh, what is true? What is, you know, uh, in this case, they're truly an alien inside, but they're perceived a different way. Mm. Um, what if they're stuck in human form? Mm. You know, and it's like you have to understand I'm not a human. You're talking to me. You think I'm a human because you look at me and I have a human form uh, to you, but I'm not human. I don't identify as human. Yeah, um, well, maybe, it's yeah. tricky. It but... is. Yeah, 
And just to clarify, because in case that got blurred, Julian wasn't declaring that trans people aren't human. It was just saying it was an alien oh. experience. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. No. no, I mean, my, <laughs> I, I, I was trying to say, it. Uh, you know, you know, th that experience would be mm. to validate one's interior yeah. identity. I, I, I think, I mean, more, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think, you know, I see some of these new, these, these young creators that are coming through and, and they have these different world experiences. And especially when it comes to, um, you know, LGBTQ and trans rights, and it's like, there are some amazing stories to be told. I can't wait. Yeah, bring them on. Because yeah. I've seen a lot of the same for 50 years and I'm like, I want to see something new. Um, Absolutely. And new so, perspectives. I mean, look at what Jordan Peele has done, you yeah. know. Um, whether it's all a hit or not, you know, it, it's definitely new and definitely vital. Exactly. And I, I totally agree. Um, right. So we will wrap up there. Let's, let's, we're going to last final quick thoughts on, on this film. Though, Cause I wasn't sure this would, would get much out of yeah. this, but I think we have, but it, um, it came from out of space. So what are your final thoughts then uh, as we wrap up on, on this film? Uh, good stuff. I mean, you know, it is, uh, you know, look, it's a, it's an hour long, uh, uh, um, Twilight Zone episode, and it, um, you know, I think it's actually a good movie. You know, mm. it's not mind blowing. It's not, you know, the the best movie ever. It's not a masterpiece, but it's a solid movie in a way that a lot of movies from this era are not. And um, it has a positive message that I think, you know, is still important today. Mm. No, I, I agree. I, as I said at the very beginning, this film was not what I was expecting. Uh, in in the best possible way, you know, it, it it sort of starts with that, and I was like, okay, it's going to be, you know, drive it, drive, you know, sort of drive in theater kind of B movie, goes a very different way towards the end. Has a really interesting message for the time, you know. There's stuff to talk about. I I enjoyed this film. Um, is it going to go heavy? Is it going to come back into my rotation? Probably not. I don't know. I may end up watching it sometime in the future, but I recommend seeing it. I definitely recommend seeing this as a touch point of 50s sci-fi. I think um, it's it's been a really interesting watch. I did want to say, uh, we forgot to mention, this was originally produced in 3D. And so really? I'm sure we both saw it like the not. So apparently this was originally produced in 3D. And isn't it, it's an hour and 20 minutes. But it, but remember, it's those days, it's got an intermission. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. After four hours of the Snyder Cut, yeah, yeah. An hour and twenty, I can do I can do on my head. No worries. Um Bright, we are gonna carry on to where the, the B movies. We're gonna get into fifties monsters next. Um, you know, we've done sort of like big big worlds, we've done uh, aliens, now we're gonna do uh, their our first sort of like radioactive monsters with them. Uh 1954's them and uh, big ants. And if I'm right, Clint Eastwood's first screen credit. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's another one I've not really seen. Uh, so I'm really looking forward right. to, to get into this one. I uh, heard a lot about it. So, yeah, in the next episode, we're going to be talking about them. We've grown up with the movie poster. And, you know, it's it's one of those I, I've, I've seen stills from and the poster. Um, yeah. And so, again, going in quite fresh. So really looking forward to that. Um but yeah, ladies You're, and gentlemen, uh, at times space pod. Uh, at, uh, pod yeah, uh, pod yes, uh, pod time space. Yeah, <laughs> I've forgotten. Even that, Christ. Yeah. So if you want to come and talk to us, whether you, what your thoughts about this film? If you thought that uh, 
you know, it came from out of space, was worth revisiting. If you enjoyed it, if you want to go, you know, you, you want to have thoughts or comment on it, come find us at Pod Time Space. Here, when I say in flow, it works. At Pod Time Space, come and have a conversation with us uh, or about any of the films we've talked about or any of the films we've got coming up. Um, and, you know, talking about some of the, uh, the uh, our ideas about humans, well, I think we will be probably revisiting this when we talk about uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth, um, David Bowie uh, and that film. So, Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for listening. And Julian, it's been a blast as again. Uh, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, always a pleasure. This is a great conversation. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, and we shall see you on the next episode. <laughs>